Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 146. And today, I have two of my daughters joining me. Now, you might already know my daughters, Imogen and Sophie. Both of them have joined me on previous episodes. Yeah, my last episode. Yes, Sophie. We talked together, didn't we, Sophie? Yes. Sophie is my teenage daughter. She's 17. She's interested in fitness. What else, Sophie? Writing, books, photography. Yes, you've got lots of interests, haven't you? And Imogen, it's been a while since we chatted together on my podcast, isn't hasn't it been? It has. I can't remember the last time, actually. What have we talked about in the past? Writing? I remember talking about essay writing with you. Definitely. You've probably ha- talked about music and following your passions a lot. Um, and p- potentially even... We may have talked about university and older children as well. Yes, I think also we talked about following dreams. Oh, yes. And you've been following a dream, haven't you? Oh, yes. I think you have published a book since our last chat together on my podcast. Well, I know you've published a book, (laughs) but I don't think we've talked about it since the last time we were chatting here on my podcast. Yes, I don't think so. So tell us a little bit about that. So, yes, um, I published a book last year. I'm an indie published author and I write for teenagers. My book that I published last year is called The Crystal Tree and it's a young adult um, fantasy adventure. And I know it's good (laughs) because I've read it. She has to say that. She's my mum. No, it is good. You've had some good reviews, haven't you? I have. I've had some very lovely reviews. Right, so today, what are we going to talk about, girls? This is a few things I would like to talk about. I would like to talk about what each of us has been up to recently, all our books and fitness courses, all the things that we are helping each other with, give a kind of catch-up progress report on everything we've been doing. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. And while we're doing that, we'll be talking about books and writing, fitness, Just looking at my list of things, because I have made a list, but you know, Sophie, don't we? We sometimes stray a little bit from our organized topics, don't we? We go (laughs) off track a bit because we just get carried away with whatever comes up in our conversations. But I think that's okay, do you? Oh yeah, definitely. Now, do you remember the last time we were talking together? It was only a few weeks ago. Yes, it was, well, only a few weeks ago. It was about a month ago which it seems quite a long time in the podcasting world. And if you remember, it, we recorded our episode on a very hot day. You must remember, remember <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yes. We couldn't even have the windows open. And we couldn't have the fan on. And do you remember uh, a storm struck partway through our recording of and the our episode? And dog kept barking. <laughs> That's right. You could hear the thunder. Well, tell everybody what the weather's like today, Sophie. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> First time in several weeks it's actually cold yes i think it's 18 degrees which is probably about 20 degrees lower than the average recently isn't it (laughs) i'm sitting here wearing a jacket so that's how cold it is yes we've had a lot of hot days it's been the hottest summer on record for a long time but for some reason Overnight, the temperature shut down, didn't it? It's been so nice. I know, I got to sleep in the blankets. It was so lovely, isn't it? So, yeah, day after day after day of hot weather, and today it's lovely and cool. It's a perfect day for sitting around the mic and recording a podcast in a room in my recording studio. (laughs) (laughs) A.K.A. your bedroom. Yes, with the windows closed. (laughs) Um, The mic. We're using our Yeti again, aren't we? But tell us what we're doing today, Sophie. What are we testing out today? Just testing out a new audio setting so it can record for more than one or two voices. So last time we did it as an interview setting, didn't we? It was set up for two voices, one on each side of the mic. And this time the mic's set up for the conference on the conference setting. So it records a sort of round sound so every person around the mic can be heard evenly. Well, I hope we can, so don't sit too far back, (laughs) because I want everybody to be in this episode, yeah. Okay, girls, where are we going to start today? Um, Let's start with you, Imogen. 
you said that you published The Crystal Tree last year. I think it was August, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was August. And it's had some good reviews. Yes, I've been very lucky. Every single review I've received so far has been incredibly positive. Everyone's been very lovely about it. It's very encouraging for a first-time author. Now, there was only one complaint as far as... (laughs) (laughs) One complaint about your novel, and that was... It was a page-turner. We all kept turning the pages. And then we got to the end and found out that there's a part two. Yes. <laughs> you should have heard Mum the night she finished reading it. <laughs> I want to know what happens next. <laughs> she was so put out. I didn't realise it was going to be, it's not a trilogy, what is it's a it? a duology. A duology. Yeah, I didn't realise that I'd have to read a second book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's more reading for you, I'm afraid. But the problem was, I couldn't just say to you, Imogen, give me the second part. I want to find out the end of the story. Well, why couldn't I do that? Because I hadn't actually written it yet. <laughs> that was most inconvenient. <laughs> so, have you written the book now? Have you written the sequel to The Crystal Tree? Yes, in fact, I have. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? How long did it take you to write The Crystal Tree? It took me six years, start to finish, to write, edit, and publish The Crystal Tree, um, including 14 separate drafts of the actual book. So quite a long time. It was quite a record. <laughs> I was sort of thinking that it would take you another six years to write the sequel. And let's have think of this, August, September, October, November, December, January, six months, and you've written it. Uh, but did, weren't you only writing it from November? Yeah, so it's six months since... No, no, six months since you published your book, but yes. only, what, four months? Of... So it's been six months since I published The Crystal Tree, and it's now been three months since I wrote the first draft of the sequel. And what's the sequel called? It's called The Shattering Song. I rather like that, don't you? <laughs> the Shattering Song. She yeah. comes up with good titles. She does. So you said you wrote it in November, so does that mean it was a NaNoWriMo novel? Oh yes, I very rarely write a novel outside of NaNoWriMo these days. So what is it about NaNoWriMo that you like? There's a lot of things that I really like about NaNoWriMo. I like the fact that it's a challenge, because I really like challenging myself, especially when it comes to writing. So NaNoWriMo is a challenge to write 50,000 words of a novel in 30 days, And my challenge is to see how much I can write in that amount of time because 50,000 words, if you can reach that, for me, is never quite enough. So it sort of forces you to get on and do it. It does. Because you have such a small time frame to write so much, you've really got to be on it. You've got to write every day. You've got to be very consistent. And it's great for building a daily writing habit, actually, which, if you write all year round like me, is excellent. So you wrote The Bare Bones during November? I did, yes. And how many drafts have you been through since then? So I've just completed edits on the third draft. So I wrote draft one during November. Then immediately, which I wouldn't normally do, I turned around and I wrote the second draft also in November because I knew exactly what I wanted to do to fix it. Then I let it rest for the rest of the month and came back in December and started work on draft two, which was... Lots of editing and lots of restructuring bits. And it's turned out pretty well, I think. So that, that was the third time around? Yes. And is there a special reason why you were hurrying to do that? To finish the third draft? Yeah. Ah, well, it's just gone off to beta readers. So with a lovely group of people who have volunteered to read this book of mine and to tell me how to make it better. And I promised them, it'll be ready by February. I'll send it out to you first couple of days of February. Which meant, of course, I had to get it done for the first couple of days in February. And did you do it? I did. I finished it January 31st. So I'm very proud of myself because it's quite a long book. Uh, Deadlines. Deadlines are good, aren't they? I I thought of applying a deadline. Setting myself a deadline doesn't sound very attractive at all. But they work. Oh, they really do. Because once you've made that commitment, you've got it in the back of your mind, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and you put the work in. Oh, yes. yes. So your novel has already gone off to your beta readers. Now, you have a special group of beta readers, don't you? I do. I have a very lovely group. Um, They're a homeschooled writing group, and they offered to beta read my novel as part of their writing group. 
So I sent them the crystal tree initially to read because it's very hard to beta read the sequel if you haven't read the first book. So I said, yes, we'll read the first book for you and then we'll read your second book and then we'll give you feedback, which is a huge commitment, but they're absolutely lovely. And apparently they're very excited to be helping out, which is really nice. So this is a teen novel writing group? Yes. So I think from what I've been told, their ages range from between 13 to about 17. And they're going to help you by giving you their opinions. Yes. So I'm looking for a reader's opinion for this for this round, you know. The sort of things they're supposed to be telling me is, where is it interesting? Where is it not? It's just the sort of things you would notice as you're reading any book. So that then I can take all this and go, well, this bit's not very good and this bit's boring. I can fix those now. So is this your target audience, this group of teens? Would they cover your readership? A representative example Pretty much exactly, to be honest. Sort of, I sort of write between 13 to 18 or, you know, above that for people who continue to like reading um, young adult. But that's pretty much my target audience. I think a lot of mothers enjoyed your book as well. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the good thing about young adult novels is that they're not baby novels. They're not, you know, simplified. They, they don't and, only really attract young adults. They apply to everyone. Exactly. They're really good novels. Like they're really solid, but they have great writing with them. They're just targeted for a younger audience. So you can enjoy them while you're older. It's just that they're targeted around the age group and sort of issues or ideas that people of a younger age would like. Well, I want to talk about one young adult novel in particular in a little while, one that I uh, enjoyed that you recommended to me. And as an example of how young adult novels don't just appeal, appear, how young adult novels don't just appeal to teenagers, but why are they called young adult novels? I mean, you just said that the target audience is teenagers and young adults are 18 and above. So why is the genre called YA or young adult when really it's the teenagers who read them? I think it's because the teenage years are sort of your transition years where you're going from being a child to being a, an adult or a young adult. So I, th- I think the reason why it's called that is because it's the, they're the novels you read as you're growing into being a young adult. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I couldn't quite understand that before. Well, they have tried splitting the next age group up as well and doing new adult, which is, you know, older than 18, so people who are in university or college or getting their first jobs and such and facing different parts of life then, but it hasn't really caught on. Right. So mothers can enjoy young adult books. Oh, yes. Definitely. Oh, yes. That's what I think is so good about your book is that quite a few families have enjoyed it, haven't they? Yes, that's actually been very nice to hear. Okay, talking about books and book reviews leads me on to your book review videos that you've been making. Tell us about those. Well, those are actually all Sophie's fault. (laughs) (laughs) She came to me beginning of January. She goes, you know what I think you should be doing? I think you should have a YouTube channel where you review books and talk about book things. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I'm very good at telling people what I think they need to do. (laughs) The problem with telling people what you think they need to do is that usually they say, I'll do it, but you'll have to help me. (laughs) So in making that suggestion, were you prepared to help Imogen put that idea into practice? Oh, obviously. It's a sort of project I like doing. So you you did it. You suggested that, hoping that you could do it together. Pretty much. It was pretty much her pitch. She's like, we can make these videos. You'll do book, book reviews. And I'll film them and then I'll edit them for you. And then you can upload them and do all the bits. And then later on, I'll teach you how to edit them yourself. So I'm like, okay. I mean, makes it easy to begin with. (laughs) So you have two YouTube channels now, don't you? I do, yes. You have Imogen Elvis, which is your music one. Yes. And then I also have Write, Rewrite, Read, which is the same name as my blog. And that's where I do book reviews and... Hopefully more book com- content in the future, but I only have sort of three videos on there at the moment. So, Well, you've got to start somewhere. Exactly. So we're going to invite everybody to go over to YouTube and look you up. What, what was it again? What was the title? Write, Rewrite, Read. And I'll put a link in the show notes, but people can also go to your blog, can't they? Oh, yes. And you have all the videos embedded 
on your blog. Yes, they all have their own blog post and everything there, so it's very easy to find them. And that's imogenelvis.com. Yep, that's right. Well, I've been watching your videos, <laughs> and even though you're my daughter, I've been enjoying them. And the very first video you made was about a book called 1,000 Perfect Notes, is that right? 1,000 Perfect Notes. 8,000 Perfect Notes. By C.G. Drews. Okay, I haven't got the title quite right. I should have <laughs> asked you what it was. <laughs> All I remember was it was a fantastic book. And after I watched the video, I was thinking, wow, I really want to read that book. And I suppose that's what book reviews are all about, aren't they? People re watch them or read them, and they either come away thinking, no, that doesn't sound like a good book to me, or they feel really enthusiastic about the book and say, I must go and get a copy of it. And that's what I thought. I thought, I must go and get Imogen's copy of this book and read it. You've read it too, haven't you, Sophie? Yes. And now Gemma Rose is reading it. Um, I think we've all enjoyed it. I said to Gemma Rose this morning, what do you think of that book? And she says, Mom, I've only just started it. And I'm thinking, you know, if she'd read a bit more, I could start talking to her about yes. it. Get impatient to hear whether she likes the book or not. So tell us a little bit about the book, because you've already done a book review about it. So you <laughs> you've can, got this prepared. <laughs> you can tell us without any spoilers. So A Thousand Perfect Notes is a story of a boy musician um, who is driven by his obsessive mother to perfection in classical music. And she wants him to be perfect, and he doesn't want to play classical music at all. He wants to do his own thing. Um, so he lives a very isolated life, and it's not, you know, it's it's the way it is for him. And then he meets a friend called August, who shows him that there's something outside of music and outside of this obsessive world driven by his mother. And it's his story of going from a life that's controlled by his his mother to one where which is full of potential and where he can explore music and life in his own way and where he can be himself exactly and being himself is good enough isn't it yes that he didn't have to fulfill his mother's dreams to be a good person and he could be loved even if she didn't love him you know, that, that, the book made me feel really sad. I don't know about you two girls, but as a mother, I had tears in my eyes towards the end because I was thinking about the book from a mother's point of view. And there were so many unschooling points to the book. And do you remember afterwards, and I was talking to you about this, about how we meet unschooling in so many different areas of our lives unexpectedly. Like we're reading a book and we think, oh wow, that illustrates unschooling perfectly. And we were talking about how it's not really surprising because unschooling is life, isn't it? It is. And of course, we're going to bump into life all the time because we're living it. <laughs> it's not as if unschooling really is as weird or as out there as a lot of people think. It really is what we should be living. Yes. Do you agree? Oh, I do. And so the thoughts in the book, even though I was thinking of them in terms of unschooling, are really things that I think everybody should be thinking about. Um, what I felt so sad about was that parents have the power to make their kids happy. All kids want is to be loved, isn't it? Yes. And a parent can either love or they cannot love, and their children's happiness depends upon that love. And if a parent withdraws that love, refuses to show that love, how damaging that can be to a child. Yes. And how children shouldn't have to earn that love. That children shouldn't have to be what their parents want them to be. That they're good enough as they are. And she missed out on so much because she had this idea of what she wanted him to be. And she didn't even realize that he was so talented and so, so incredibly Oh, what would you say? Um, he was just so interesting and he was... He was a genius in his own manner. That's right. She didn't have to make him into what she felt was a perfect musician. Uh, he was already good enough as he was. And even if he hadn't had any musical talent, that was just... I mean, he did have and she didn't see that. But if she couldn't see that he was talented anyway... What hope would he have had any if he hadn't got any musical talent? She couldn't even see that, could yes. she? And I think a lot of parents, I say a lot, 
I don't know how many, but you do hear of parents who live their dreams through their children. They want their children to succeed in some way uh, for their own happiness. Yes, and they push their children into doing certain things or following certain pathways that might not necessarily be where the child themselves would have chosen to go. And I think that's also where valuing what children like to do and children's interests are also sort of also comes into play because as in the book the main character Beck does love music but his type of his love of music is different to what his mother values and so because it's different she sees no value at all in what he loves to do which is composing his own music yes and he was very good at it wasn't he he was yes the other point about that I found very sad was that he never gave up hope of being loved that he couldn't shake off and his mother's uh, cruelty even, that he didn't say, well, look, I can't please her, I'm going to be myself. He just was controlled by her completely, and I think it was because he never gave up hope that he would, she would love him. That one day he would be good enough to, to sort of merit that. Yeah, that kids don't give up on their parents even when it does look hopeless, that a parent's love means so much to a child, yeah? Yes. So, a very interesting book. Tell us a little bit about the author, Imogen. So, C.G. Drews, who wrote the book, is a young Australian author. She's early 20s, sort of like me, so early to mid-20s, and I actually know her, well, sort of. I know her through her blog and her awesome social media presence, And I was very lucky in that I actually got to beta read this book for her way back before it was published. So I read one of the first versions of it, which was great. Um, So she's young Australian, writes fantastic books. Uh, She's actually got a second book coming out this year, which is connected to A Thousand Perfect Notes, which we're all very excited about. We may have pre-ordered a book for the first time in our lives. (laughs) It's just the excitement of our week. (laughs) Isn't it great when you find out that your favourite authors have a new book that's coming out? Oh, yes. If if anybody follows me on Instagram or Twitter, they know. So She's it, been fangirling about this book. Half, half my pictures are of A Thousand Perfect Notes. Half my tweets are about how good it is or how I'm making someone else read it. So <laughs> She's absolutely fangirling. Maybe Talk, just a little bit. <laughs> talking about waiting for books to come out, do you remember when we were reading The Pendlewicks? Oh, yes. Uh, The first one came out when Charlotte was young enough to enjoy it, and now she's 21. And I think the next two came out fairly quickly, and then there was a big gap between maybe number three and number four. And you all grew up between that time. By the time the book was published, I was the only one left that was interested in reading (laughs) it. And I think to this day, I ordered a copy, well, I bought a copy on Kindle, and I actually read it. I can't even remember what it was called now. And I told everybody about it, but Gemma Rose wasn't interested in the slightest <laughs> by that stage. She had moved on. And I guess that's the trouble when authors have big gaps. They lose their audience. Yes, especially for books for sort of a young age group. Their audience can age out of it, unfortunately. And this is why I'm really pleased that you're writing your sequels so quickly because I think you need to build up on that momentum that you have already, you know, built on top of it. Yes, that, and if, if it takes me six years to publish every single book, I'm not going to finish very many, am I? You're not going to make much <laughs> living. <laughs> you're never going to finish the six-book series. Yeah, well, this is what amazes me. Some authors are so prolific, aren't yes. they? Yes. And I was listening to some podcasts about authors who'd published, oh, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 books, and they still weren't that old. And I thought, well, how can I, how come I can't even write one book in two years? That type of thing. Yes. Is it because I'm lazy? Is it because I'm not organized? Is, is it because I haven't got my ideas worked out carefully enough? Or are they just incredibly genius people? Yes. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What's the secret? Well, anyway, after listening to some of these podcasts, I got inspired and I thought, look, I could do better than I'm doing. And I am doing better, but um, have we finished talking about A Thousand Perfect Nerds? We could move on to what I'm doing. Have we got anything else to say about that? I think we should go on to what you've been doing. 
No, no, just tell me about, before you do, what was the sequel, or, or not the sequel, but the second book, the one that's associated with ah, Thousand yes. Perfect Notes? So C.G. Drew's second book that's coming out in April of this year, which April 4th, is called The Boy Who Steals Houses. Oh, wow, what a good title that I is. I know, and if, if anybody has read A Thousand Perfect Notes or is interested in reading it, then you might also be inter- interested in knowing that this book is actually connected to that one. It's not a sequel, but they're in the same world, and A Thousand Perfect Notes actually makes references and has connections to The Boy Who Steals Houses, but you won't know what they are until you've read the second book. I love it when that happens. This sounds really clever, doesn't it? And I reckon that when we read the book, we'll say, I remember reading about that. Oh, yes. And then we'll feel so clever (laughs) because we'll have the association already. Oh, yes. (laughs) That sounds really good. So what, 4th of April? Yes, so April 4th of this year. And who's going to read it first? Uh, so we're going to juke that one out. <laughs> it depends who's finished the book they're currently reading first. <laughs> so I have to join the end of the queue. <laughs> you might have to. <laughs> okay. Well, we're talking about writing and talking about non-prolific writers like me. <laughs> <laughs> Way to start it. <laughs> well, I'm feeling really pleased with myself because I did finish my first book. And you've read it, haven't you, Imogen? Yes, I have. All right, tell everybody what you think. Well, I personally think that this book, so this is Mum's Unschooling book, part, part, part one, one <laughs> is really good. And I'm I'm not an unschooling parent, so it's not technically actually aimed at me. And I've already read, you know, a lot of what Mum's written, and I lived most of this. So, <laughs> so technically you'd think I'd find this pretty boring. But actually it's very interesting. I've very well written, and I think people are going to really enjoy it. So I've called it Curious Unschoolers. Do you know why I called it that? I do, because I've read it. <laughs> All right, tell everybody why, why I called it that. Well, it's called Curious Unschoolers because the word curious has two meanings. So you have the meaning where something is curious, so peculiar or a little bit strange. Weird. Yes, or curious as in interested in everything and wanting to know more about everything. And that sort of sums up unschoolers, doesn't it? Exactly. We're all a little bit strange, but we're very interested in a lot of things. That's right. So that's why I have called it Curious Unschoolers. So where are we up to in the book? Because I told everybody that my deadline for writing it was the last day of the last year, 2018, and I met that deadline. Yes. And then I said my next deadline was the end of January, which was yesterday and well we sort of met the deadline didn't we because you've gone through it all I still got a couple of beta readers who are looking at it and giving me their opinion but you're going to start formatting it now aren't you yes at this point the sort of things that are being changed are less about large content edits and more about which story should go in where because Getting the right order is a bit difficult sometimes. So, and that's something that I can swap around pretty easy during the formatting stage. So, yes, I finished reading it. And as soon as we've made a couple more decisions, we're going to be putting the book into its print format. So those decisions being what size the book is going to be and lots of, and just technical things like that. And if we've got any changes from the other beta readers, it'll be minor things too. We can still do that, can't we? Yes, it's something I can get a start on and we can put in any changes afterwards. So we're getting there, aren't we? We are. So we get the book formatted and then we order a copy from Amazon and we wait for it to arrive, have a look at it. No, we've got to get a book cover. Yes, we do. We can't do anything without a book cover and we're hoping that Charlotte will do that, won't we? Yeah, she is actually very good at doing book covers. She did my book cover for me, which I think turned out lovely. And she has promised that she's going to do a book cover for you so I'm expecting good things so you're going to format and Charlotte's going to do the book cover and I in the meantime I'm working on book two and book two is called a radical unschool love because well I think that's self-explanatory isn't it it is that's what I think un- radical unschooling is I want to change the image of it because everybody thinks that it's a bit weird a bit out there a bit irresponsible But what I think it has all to do with is unconditional love. So that's why I've chosen that title. 
So that's what I'm working on at the moment, and I think I should set myself a deadline to finish this book. I'm well on the way to finishing it. I've got most of it done, but there's a few stories here and there that still need some work on. Some of them stories are just in note form still, but it's all down. It just means me sitting there and fiddling around with it and getting it to sound how I, how I want it to sound. Do you understand that? Oh, yes. Because sometimes it's hard. We were talking about... You have the idea in your head and it seems so much hard work to get it out onto the computer screen perfectly and perhaps we try too hard. What we need to do is just to write any old how, just write down the ideas that we want, get something on screen or on paper and then when it's all down, then we start working on it, yeah? Yes, yes. Get the, all the ingredients and then start fiddling around with the sentences, I want this before that and I've left out this and I don't like that word and then rearranging it all and then before we know it, we have another story. So that's what I'm doing. Deadline. Shall I commit myself to another deadline? I find deadlines are a powerful motivator. <laughs> all right, so if you, how long do you think I should give myself <laughs> to finish the second unschooling book? <laughs> I don't think I'm the the most reliable source of a goal. <laughs> what do Having you think? never written or edited a novel. Oh, you've written loads. Of... I've, I've written loads. I haven't edited or published anything. But you've written lots. So what do you think? Hmm. This might this might be a conversation we need to have. Okay. Well, I'm going to set a deadline. Yes, and she will commit to it. And maybe she'll even let you know. It's a solid <laughs> commitment. <laughs> There's some peer pressure for you. I really, really want to get these books done because there's so many other things that I would like to do. Is that our dogs? No, that's the neighbor's dogs. Oh, there's nothing we can do about the neighbor's dogs. <laughs> I can't really go outside and shout at the neighbor's dogs, can I? <laughs> um, anyway, yes, two Rottweilers over the fence having a bit of a play fight. But, oh dear, what are they doing? Play fighting. Play fighting. <laughs> Interrupting our podcast. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things that I want to do apart from write these books. But I have discovered that if you don't commit to just writing, you never get finished. Do you understand that? Yes, it's got to be your main commitment because otherwise it just doesn't get done. It just gets pushed back and pushed back. Yeah, so I haven't written a blog post in a month. And not because I don't want to write any blog posts, but I know that if I go back to starting writing blog posts, I'm not going to write my book because I can't fit everything into my life. So that's one reason I want to get the books finished. Not, it'll be satisfying to finish them after all this time, and I'm getting excited about that. But I've got other projects I want to work on too, and I feel I can't get started or get back to it until this is out of the way. So that's what I'm doing. Right, is that me done? Am I doing anything else? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm still on Instagram. I've still been posting on Instagram regularly, most most days. And you're doing that too? Yes, I post most days as well. Imogen has a lovely account. It's got some really good photos on it, hasn't it, Sophie? I'm teaching her everything I know about photography at the moment. What were you doing for photos before? Um, there were either mine that went very good, or Sophie and Mum were donating photos of me and of things that I was doing and such so that I had nice photos because I'm not actually a very good photographer. I, I will be a very good photographer when Sophie's finished with me. But <laughs> it's my goal. <laughs> I am determined. It's a slow process. So, Sophie, did you get fed up of doing Imogen's photos and decided that it would be easier to teach her, or <laughs> did you just want to, t to share your talent and have a pupil? I love teaching anyone who will listen. I've been trying to convince her to be my student for about four years now. Something like that, yeah. And in the end, I donated an old camera of mine, you lent her one of your nice lenses, and I gave her the second copy of Lightroom I had, and I was like, here, get on and learn! <laughs> so what changed your mind about learning photography? It's one of those things that I have been wanting to learn for a while, but you know how you want to learn everything and you can't do it all at once? So I, this year has been sort of, for me, is about trying to get things more organized so that I can fit more things in. And it just so happened that she offered at a time when I'm trying to schedule my stuff better so that I've got more space for this type of thing. So it just lined up perfectly with what else I was doing. I imagine it's, it will be good to be able to take photos of what you want to take, you know, take your own photos when you want to take them and not have to say to Sophie, 
when you have some spare time, could you take a photo of this, that, or the other for also, me? Yeah, there's a big difference between being able to take your own photos and get your exact vision out there, or having to settle for someone else taking their own photos, which you might give your input about what you want, but it will always turn out to be the photographer's vision rather than your vision. Oh, well, when you do that for me, Sophie, your vision is always better than mine, so I never complain. <laughs> I usually say, well, I wouldn't have done it like that, but wow, that's much better than I would have done. So that's not a problem with me. <laughs> so you're getting on well? Your photos are getting better? Yes, I, I can certainly see an improvement with them. I'm hoping Sophie can as well. She's already developed her own style and she's taking nice photos. She's quick to pick things up, so it's enjoyable to teach her. And it's really lovely, isn't it, Sophie, sharing a passion? Yeah. And, and being able to pass on the skills that you have and the love for a topic or a subject, whatever it is, and pass it on to somebody else. So she can see she lets me go more in depth than anyone else has ever listened to me before. So I can go all into the minute details that go into posing someone or setting out a photo and even editing. I've shown her more in depth things than I, I don't think I've even shown you some of the tricks. <laughs> well, that's because I'm not a very good student because you start telling me and I say, stop, stop, I can't take anymore. One thing at a time. And I'm very slow. I need a few things to go and practice. And then I come back and I get a few more ideas. Whereas I think Imogen probably can absorb more at once. Yeah. Maybe that's the type of learner you are. Or maybe you're just younger. Maybe my brain's not working so well as yours. <laughs> that sounds like an excuse. <laughs> Or maybe I need you just to figure out things for myself because we're all sort of different learners, aren't we? Yeah. And I like to have a fiddle around by myself and then when I get really stuck, I shout, Sophie, come on, <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Whereas I really like having something modelled for me first and having someone there I can say, so is this how we do that? I've done this, is that the correct way of doing it? I think the hardest thing you've had to adjust to is that when doing things, there's no right or wrong answer. Yes. And <laughs> You're like, have I done this right? And I'm like, do you like how it looks? And she's like, do you, do you think it looks good? And I'm like, do you think it looks good? Oh, I find that very irritating as well <laughs> because I never know whether you like it or not because you say um, it depends on my view and my style. Yes, it would be if, I, if I say that, anything about my thoughts on it, it will temper what you think about it. And you would never truly develop your own style if you're basing it around me and my opinions. Well, I want it to be sharp. <laughs> I want to be able to tell what it looks like. I want it to be the colours to be reasonable. And that's all I want you to say. Yes, Mum, it looks like a reasonable photo. And you just say, well, what do you think, Mum? Do you like it? I, I also think one of the um, one of the things about photography and sort of any creative sort of thing is that your taste is always changing. So especially... When you're a beginner, like I am with photography, you don't quite know what's, you know, what's good taste. It's like with writing, you write something and you think it's, and you think you've written the best thing ever. You come back in, you know, six months time, you think, why did I think this was any good? Like, this is, I thought this was great writing and now look at it. And I just think it, it's, I'll probably be the same with photography. I'll turn around in six months and go, why was I editing like that? Like, this is the colours are garish and why did I think that I needed to matte the black so much? And, and then you go back to me four years ago and I was in this weird rut. I had this stage where I was trying to do low-key photography, but I didn't have the basics down, so they were all really dark. There was nothing that you could really make out in them. And now I look back at them and I go... What was I thinking? And you look, I looked the other day, I lined up my photos from the past few years. I took a couple of photos from each one and there's a completely different style each year. Every single year I've been completely different in what I've done. But that's all right because you are happy at each of those stages and you keep on learning. Oh, yeah. I, I think the most encouraging thing to see as well is... I'm keeping certain elements from certain ones, but I can see the improvement throughout them. And I can see how I'm learning from it and the progress I'm making. And probably the most worrying thing would be if you could line up a photo from every single year and then you had just a patch when nothing changed at all because then you've stopped learning and growing. That was me last... Was it last year? The year we stopped doing music videos. 
and I felt up until that point my photography was getting better and better at a really quick rate and they looked beautiful but then she stopped doing music videos which meant I didn't have something there motivating me to take photos and film and I got really busy with I was studying at that point and I was working and so I stopped taking as many photos and when I picked up my camera again in the middle of the year like six months later I was worse than I was at that point and I looked down like how will I ever get back to this point? I'm like, I'm a terrible photographer. <laughs> what a joke I am. <laughs> practice, practice, practice. I think that you're being a little bit too hard on yourself. <laughs> she has a very discerning eye and very high standards. So <laughs> anything that is less than perfection is not good enough in her opinion for herself. The only thing I'm afraid of, Imogen, talking about saying, well, what do you think? I'm so glad that when I gave you my book to read, you didn't, didn't just say, well, what do you think, Mum? <laughs> if you're happy, that's good. <laughs> I think sometimes you do need other people's uh, honest feedback, don't I think you? Writing and something creative like photography, the reviews you have to do are very different because one, you're looking for technical issues, and one is all about the creativity and your own vision. It hurts a lot more when you hear someone say they hate your vision than in writing when someone, most of the time what they're looking at is like structural things and, you know. What you've actually said yeah. And it's not looking at what your vision was, but it's looking at like structural bit it's, of the right. It's less about looking at the story and going, you have written an absolutely awful story and more going, well, this bit's not working and, you know, it sags here and there it's, it's the technical elements. Whereas photography, I think you're saying is you look at it as a whole and it's like, a, it's, it's your, it's your entire vision encapsulated and into one any thing. Any feedback you get is against your vision and your decisions. And so it hurts so much more if someone doesn't like it. <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to give you any opinions. <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> yes, every, every negative comment is an arrow in her heart. Never, <laughs> never <laughs> criticize no, her. Just anything I do. <laughs> it's just, a, just as well. You're so much better at photography than us. So that we're always going to say it's fantastic. Or if we say anything, even slightly negative, she can go, "Well, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm the expert." <laughs> Now I've got pretty thick skin <laughs> when it comes to it. Well, since we're talking to you, Sophie, let's move on. Last time we were talking together, we you told everybody that you were looking for a new job, right? Yes. And I said, I don't think it will take you very long to find a new job. Well, a couple of days later, we went for a walk together, didn't we? And we're walking along and you said, oh, I'll never find a new job. And what happened the next day? Well, we went out and we put in some resumes and applied at a few different places in the local area. And by the end of the week, I had a not one but two offers of trial days at two different jobs. So I was right. Yes? <laughs> Mum's picking on me on a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did really well, didn't you? I could see... That's the trouble, I think, sometimes when uh, we're feeling a bit low, the world looks really grey, doesn't it? And we can't see ahead of ourselves and it all looks negative. Whereas someone from the outside can see that the chances of it, the situation continuing as it is are very low. Like I said to you, you're 17, you're not going to be unemployed for the rest of your life, are you? I mean, that's, that's utterly ridiculous, really, isn't it? There's an awful lot of life left. <laughs> but I suppose... Not unless I die a young death. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> We're not even going to go there. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that you couldn't see... To you, that didn't make any uh, didn't make any difference, did it? You just was feeling a little bit down about the whole situation. And then you couldn't see all your talents and how easily you would get a job, but it all fell into place really quickly, didn't it? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it fell into place very easily for her. <laughs> we could see that she would get a job pretty quickly, didn't we? We could see the value of the skills that she has. Oh, yes. I think also you probably just got a bit overtired. 
as I said, picking on me on a day where I was having a bad day. Sorry, I shouldn't have. Put, <laughs> I, shouldn't have I shouldn't have told everybody that you have bad days. No, she's perfect. There are no bad days here. Nothing I'm to see here. Perfection personified. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a problem, isn't it? I was talking about that on Instagram the other day. How about you post up all these beautiful photos of your family and all the captions? So this is basically what we we're talking about last podcast. Is it? Yeah, we're talking about how it's everyone presents a perfect view. So we're repeating ourselves. We're going to get boring in a minute. So if you want to hear more on that subject, go to last week's podcast and have a look at it there. Well, anyway, I reposted about it. I'm getting repetitive. But I was saying that sometimes we can give the image that we're all perfect. And that really got to me the other day. I was thinking, what if people think that I am perfect? Well, no, that's not true. What if people think that I think we're perfect? Can you see the difference? Yes. What if they think that I think that I've got it all worked out? And that's not the image I want to portray. Because we're not perfect, are we? Of course not. Nobody is. And I was thinking, well, maybe some people do want us to be perfect because then they'll read my book and they'll get all the answers about how to do things. All they have to do is read the book, read the blog, listen to the podcast, find out the secret of what we're doing, and then their lives will be perfect just like ours. And you think, well, doesn't quite work like that. Well, it might do if we're perfect, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so we all have bad days, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, but you're not having a bad time at the moment, are you, Sophie? <laughs> you're having a really good time. <laughs> Apart from being extremely overtired, I'm having a great time. But you're having a good life. Oh, you? yes. A full life? That's why I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't mind me bringing up a bad day, do you? Nah, we all have them. They all love to laugh at my bad days. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right having a bad day when you've got family to support you, hey? Support you and tease you when it's over. <laughs> but only when it's over. Then you can deal with it again. <laughs> exactly. We have our standards. <laughs> All right, tell us about your new job. The one that you got practically a couple few days after our last podcast. Was it that one? Yeah. Yeah, it was like a week okay. after. Go on then. So I might have gotten a job at the nicest cafe in our local area. So not only did you get a job, you got a really good job. Yes, it was a really good job. I wasn't holding a lot of hope I'd get that job because they'd been looking for employees for the past two, three months. Yes, a lot. Yeah, they've been having a... Their ads have been up for quite some time, and I applied sort of with no hope. I was like, well, I'll send in a resume to another place, but there's no hope. But then about a week after I applied, I got back and they were like, hey, we looked at your resume, you look good, do you want to come in for an interview? And they were the first people to get back to me from all the places I had applied. So I went in for the interview, and I haven't actually had a lot of job interviews. Like, Well, you're only 17. Yeah, I've, this is my fourth job, but none of my other jobs really had a proper job interview for them. So I was kind of a little bit nervous. This is a new thing for me. <laughs> but I went in, and apparently I did a good job because they asked me two days later to come back for a trial day. And they were like, you'll come in, work three to four hours, we'll see how you go, and we'll pay for it. And I'm like, pay for it? And I'm like, cool, sounds great. Here's some progress. So I come in, and I work the day. And as I'm working, and time ticks on, I feel like everything's going great, I like it. And I see the time going, you know, three hours passes, and I'm into my fourth hour, and they come up to me and they go, would you like to go on a break? And I'm like, four hours isn't enough time to have a break. I'll be done my shift by the time I come back from break. And I'm like, oh yeah, go for a break. And that was the first time I realised my trial was going quite well. Better than I expected. So I went off on the break and came back. Ended up working, I think it was five, six hours. She worked an entire shift, not a trial day shift, but as if she was employed. Yes. And they let me do more than what I've seen other people who are trialling do. So I, at first I was stuck on you. The basic jobs, no one has to guide me over, you know. Washing dishes. <laughs> washing dishes, <laughs> clearing tables, that kind of thing. But when I came back from my break, it was a little bit quieter in the cafe. And they were like, so you said you had some barista experience. 
And if anyone knows me, barista is where I get excited in cafe work. It is my area. I'm like, yes. I'm like, do you want to play with our machine? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I was actually left for a couple of hours on their machine making customer coffees and they just straight away trusted me to do it. Anyway, long story short, I was employed after that day. Can I tell you a funny story? Imogen and I went shopping that day while you were doing that trial and we were sitting on the train coming back and we were texting, well, Imogen was texting between you two and I think you texted me anyway. I got a text from you saying what I thought was, I broke the coffee machine. Oh no, we're on the phone. Afterwards, oh, I was right. ringing you after my trial day was over and we were on the phone and I... I said something and you heard it as, I broke the coffee machine? <laughs> yeah, so I said, you broke the coffee machine? And I'm walking along and I'm like, what? No, how could you even think that? <laughs> no, you said, I worked the coffee <laughs> yeah, machine. But I'm, as soon as mum said, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and then I thought you said, um, they fired me. And what you said was, they hired me. They hired me. But there was a very poor line. And we went from, oh, no, to, oh, yes. <laughs> it was just constantly. And I, you were like, they fired you? And I'm like, they hadn't even hired me yet. How no, could no, be fired? You said they hired you. Yeah. So you got the job and you've been there a few weeks now. And tell us, oh, you've had so many customers come up to your boss and what have they been saying? Oh, I've had three separate customers in three weeks come up to my boss and ask me to have a pay rise. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, if it's a practical joke or something that's going on, but three separate customers have asked for me to have a pay rise. Well, they must be pleased with your coffee. I hope so. Anyway, the, the, being a barista, being a, working in a cafe is not what you want to do for the rest of your life, isn't it? Is it? No. The people that have listened to my podcast before will know that you're working in a cafe to support yourself, get money so that you can study and do something completely different. Yes. yes. And what you're doing is a certificate in fitness. Yes. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. You're enjoying the, this, the work? Yeah, mostly. <laughs> What's the mostly bit? <laughs> the, I'm not used to study and, and like structured study. So it's a little bit of a curve. Like the subject is interesting. There are just the frustrating parts of study. But I'm lucky I don't have deadlines. It's self-paced. So all in all, it's a fairly good deal. Do you think that I should have given you some structured assignments during you know, the last few years to prepare you for something like this? Or is it something that you can pick up? I think I picked it up fairly well, all right. I didn't want to do structured learning before this. So you didn't, hadn't, didn't really need to be prepared for it. You're working it out as you go. Yeah. And you're doing okay. She was very resistant to the idea of doing any sort of structured course before. And as someone who's done, you know, a full university degree, um, the learning curve for any structured course, no matter what you've done before, is always in the beginning quite steep because you're you're fi you're figuring it out, you're finding your feet. I think it's the same for, for pretty much anybody who goes into this sort of environment, whether you've been at school or homeschooled, because it's just different to what you know. And Sophie's picked it up really quickly, um, and she's doing very well. So it wouldn't have mattered what. She anybody had done up to that point it's just a new experience for everybody yes and it's something that all of us who who have had to go into that sort of thing and Sophie included um, have picked it up fast enough that it's not been a problem like I've I've been there to help Sophie with the things that she does I don't know anything about fitness like she does but I if she has a study problem I can answer questions for that or give her pointers but she doesn't really need it so you're doing okay. Now, you want to be a personal trainer, don't you? Yes. And you've been practicing, haven't you? You've got two <laughs> clients already, unpaid clients. They're getting the benefit of your knowledge as sort of like a trial run. Yeah? Yeah. So you're one of those people, Imogen? I am. And Dad is the other, isn't he? And you've been writing pro programs for both of them and giving them nutritional advice, all that sort of thing? Yeah. Come on, Imogen, tell us a little bit about what you're gaining from Sophie's knowledge. 
So from my gain from Sophie's knowledge is, well, firstly, on the exercise front, she writes me a personalized exercise plan, which is uh, structured around my specific goals for exercise. So Her goals, her preferences, what she wants to work on, what she doesn't and does like. The sort of exercises I really don't enjoy doing. Um, things like that. So it's, it's customized to what I want to do, which is great because I've tried other people's fitness programs and I have been through them and I've done them, haven't I? Sophie? Yes, she's been really good and she's done a lot. <laughs> but, um, but, but with anything that's not tailored to you, you get those bits that are like, mm, you I don't really. Certain sections. Like, I hate doing burpees. She I, hates like body weight hit, basically. So is there more than one way of of doing these things like I'm saying like just for example you said I don't like cardio but you know cardio is good for you so do you just wipe out the whole cardio bit or do you find a, a an attractive way of introducing cardio into a personalized plan cardio can be approached from many different aspects and traditional idea of cardio isn't as important as people think it is so long as you've got so long as you've got a lifestyle which supports it so if you're being active and you know you're getting you know your 10,000 steps for instance say in a day i know it's a standard you know overused example but if you're doing that most of the time you don't need added cardio on top of it and a lot of extra cardio can be damaging so I should be running so much. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't a good example. All right, uh, this is a better example. You told me about a man at the gym who just wanted to work on his upper body, right? And his, his <laughs> uh, the typical, the typical bodybuilding man, <laughs> which isn't really good for him because he needs work on his lower body. So a customized plan wouldn't just say, well, his preference is just to do the upper body or forget the lower. You've got to interest him in some way to do the lower as well. You have to find out more what it is which takes, you know, puts him off lower body and what he doesn't like. And you find styles of training which attract certain people. So, for instance, say someone doesn't like, you say cardio, someone doesn't like traditional cardio like cycling and running and they don't like that but maybe they would enjoy something like kickboxing or dance (laughs) dance for instance any form of exercise which appeals to them and you build a workout around what they enjoy what fits with their goals and what they health-wise need. So you're enjoying her program, Imogen? Yes, I am. It's actually It's been really nice to have a program that I look forward to opening up every morning, and I haven't have, had any days. I'm at the end of my first month so far, and we're about to go into a, a new program because we've had a meeting. We've been like, yes, this is working. This is not. I like this. I don't like that. But it's been nice to go into it every day and, and go, yes, I'm looking forward to this workout instead of going, oh, it's another one of these. <laughs> and you've got Dad involved as well. Yeah. So you're writing a program for him. And then you've been going down to the gym together. Yeah, Dad's a little bit different. So when I do Emmy, what I do is I've written her out like a month's program, which was around her goals. And it's basically we set a month so that it's, Long enough that she can see progress and work towards the goals we had set, but it was short enough that if anything needed to be changed, we could change it. So we had set things for Emmy, and Emmy would go in each week, each week, and she'd do her set program, and then I'd check back on her weekly. Dad's a little bit different. He hasn't been in the gym for a while, so he's not as used to doing things, so I don't, I don't exactly trust him to perform it like Emmy does. She has the mechanics worked out really well. She knows form. She knows how to, how to push herself and when to stop. Dad's a little bit different. Dad <laughs> thinks he knows. He thinks he knows, but he's he doesn't exactly have it. So he used to power lift, do a more powerlifting training style a couple of years ago, and he thinks he still has the strength from back then and the technique from back then but he's lost some of the familiarity with it so it he doesn't quite have the mechanics of like a perfect squat and a perfect deadlift anymore so I go with him into training 
to make sure, you know, form goes. We do the workouts together so I can watch his form, I can watch his weight. If he gets, he over pushes, I can spot him. So I imagine that it's quite an experience for a father to take advice from his teenage daughter when he's had all those years of doing things and to be told that, well, in a nice and tactful way, that perhaps his form isn't quite as good as he imagined. <laughs> he, I imagine you've got to uh, dance about that quite carefully. He finds it hard to adjust to the fact that he introduced me to the gym. And so he finds it hard to adjust to the fact that no longer is he telling me about fitness, but I know more. And when I'm giving him advice, it's backed up by you know proper knowledge and study and I can actually help him. And he finds it hard to adjust that what I say is, you know, it's actually solid fact and I can help. I think that's the thing that all parents have to come to terms with in the end, is that we start off knowing more than you children. And then as the years go by, we realize that you've outgrown us. You've gone off on your own. And we're looking up towards you thinking, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm no longer the expert on this. And I find in some ways it's very exciting because Sophie overtook me in photography very, very quickly. I mean, I was the one who had the camera first, but now you're teaching me. And I find that very exciting. But also it is uh, something to get used to, that you're not the expert. The parent is not the expert anymore. The parent uh, has been outstripped in many different <laughs> ways. It's good also because you think, well... If they know more than I do, they're obviously being well-educated, aren't they? They're <laughs> but, learning. But there's still that moment where your ego has to take a step back and go, okay, I don't know the most anymore. Now I need to, now I need to stop and actually listen. Instead of being the teacher, I'm the one who's now being taught. Yes. So I can't think of anything that I'm better at than you lot anymore. <laughs> I can't write as well as you, Imogen, and I can't take photos as good as you, Sophie. Um, I don't really know. Is there anything I'm good at? <laughs> That's sort of funny. I've lost my um, talent. Well, I've got my talents, but I'm not, you know, well, what do I do better than anyone else? I'm not sure. Ah, but the thing is you have a more general knowledge because I specialize in writing, but when it comes to things like photography, I'm a complete beginner. So you have far more talent and more skills and experience She's than I do. She's got a good level of skills in a lot of different places. Exactly. Like you're better at photography and fitness. But I can't do anything with the rest of it. Exactly. You don't write as well as mum does and such. So mum very much has a general talent. You've got, you've got a good level in a number of subjects, but you're not specialised, whereas... <laughs> Could somebody write a book and not be specialised and well, be listened to? Well, yes, you can, but the, but the, see, the thing is, like, I'm better at writing than you because it's all you do. Writing is the one thing that I focused my entire time on. I studied it in university. I've written, you know, I've written 30 different books before I ever published all right, one. All right, all right. So you're better at writing novels than me, but I am better at writing unschooling books than you. Exactly. <laughs> you're, be you're better at writing articles and blog posts because you've written a lot more than I have because that's I your focus. I would say mum's focus is more like social media and like a social presence. Exactly. That's where she specialises in. Me, I... I understand the workings of it, but I can't ever get the hang of it, doing it for myself. But even so, even though I might be better at writing blog posts and unschooling books, I couldn't do it without you lot, because without you I wouldn't have any <laughs> subject matter, would I? So it's lovely and collaborative. It is. Isn't that lovely? I do love how we all work together and we swap ideas and we help each other fulfill our dreams, use our talents, don't you? Yes. And I think that's probably a good place to stop because I think we have spoken for ooh, probably an hour or more. <laughs> I think that unless I want to start a lot of editing and cutting things out, we better say goodbye. So I'm just going to say that even though I haven't written any blog posts recently, I will put a blog post up with this podcast. There will be some show notes and there's loads and loads of blog posts on my blog in the archives, so it's worth visiting, I think, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'm also on Instagram, and I'm posting regularly there, and I've just started a new idea. I think that I'm going to 
post regularly about record keeping, what Gemma Rose is learning about and how I record it in my Evernote notebooks. Not every post, but regularly, just to show people how we turn unschool learning into homeschool records if we have to be registered legally as homeschoolers. And I did a post like that yesterday and it went down very well. So I'm going to be doing that. What about you, Imogen? Tell us about you and where you can be found. So I can be found on my website, so imogenelvis.com, uh, where I blog and I have all my links to my books and things. I'm, I'm also on Instagram at Imogen Elvis, where I post about books that I'm reading, uh, what I'm writing, just bookish things in general, and on YouTube at Write, Rewrite, Read, where I'm obviously doing my book reviews and other book videos hopefully soon. And Sophie, Sophie can be found in the best cafe in town. <laughs> Obviously. She can also be found in the gym. But, we're, but, we're but where you can actually find me without knowing me in person <laughs> is where, where can people find you online? Probably just Instagram at the moment. You're not doing much else. No, I don't even really post on Instagram at the moment. No time. But if people want to find you on Instagram, what's your handle? Uh, Tough Turtle and The Techno Maid. The Techno Maid is like books, writing, life, photography. Photography. And Tough Turtle is mainly fitness and health focused. I think that you should post some more photos on The Techno Maid because you've edited some beautiful ones recently and we keep telling her, don't we, go and put, put some on Instagram where everybody can enjoy them. And now I'm not stealing them to post them up on my account. You're going to have to do something with them. And if you don't post them on Instagram, I'm going to steal them and I'm going to put them <laughs> on my own account because <laughs> they're better than mine. Anyway, thank you girls for joining me for this episode, episode 146. And I'd just like to finish by thanking everybody who stopped by on Instagram recently with some podcast ideas. I'm going to make a list of topics and questions that were added in the comments of a particular post on Instagram. Lots and lots of ideas. Hopefully we'll find lots to talk about in the coming year. So what else do we want to say? Thank you for listening to our episode. Anything else, girls? Show notes on my blog. I think that's all. And you want to do the ending, Sophie, or should we let Imogen? <laughs> she can have a stab at it this time. She can have a stab. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, don't forget to... Trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Got it in one. <laughs>